Hello everyone and welcome to the inaugural episode of Reality TV Academic Style. I'm your host, Sarah Perlman. I'm a pop culture connoisseur, a reality TV expert, and a master's student of political sociology at London School of Economics. I am so excited to start this podcast because it combines two of my absolute favorite things, which are reality TV and academia. I love reality TV because it gives me a chance to unwind and just pour absolute nothingness into my brain after a long day. And I know a lot of people are with me on that. Reality TV gets a bad rap, but you're not necessarily vain or vapid just because you like reality TV. It is entertainment at its finest. I also think that it's fascinating sociologically because it reflects what a society either values or is entertained by. It also inherently presents sociological issues. I love the reality TV landscape, whether it's RuPaul's Drag Race or Real Housewives or Love Island. Basically, it's just fun to watch hot, rich people do interesting stuff. So the reason that I wanted to start this podcast is because I think that there is so much to gain from studying reality television. I think it's so important to make academics both fun and accessible for people. And what better way to incorporate the ideas of like boring old guys with interesting reality TV. So with all of that being said, I'm going to start on today's episode, which we are going to be analyzing the very first episode of Selling Sunset, which is titled If Looks Could Sell. Basically, I'm just going to go over the show scene by scene and I am going to analyze whatever pops out at me. So the episode starts off with the two Oppenheim twins, Brett and Jason, who own this real estate empire of sorts. And they are talking to their all-female staff about what each person is doing and also how they're bringing in a, quote, new girl. So then, before we have the introduction of Chriselle, we have an epic montage where they talk about what the Oppenheim Real Estate Group is and what they do. So it's a group um, in Hollywood that sells high-end luxury real estate. They mentioned they sort sold a quarter of a billion dollars of real estate last year, which is $250 million, which is truly like a mind-blowing amount of money. So one thing that really stuck out to me in this initial introduction was a quote from one of the brothers. Honestly, cannot tell them apart. So they say, our names are on the doors, but behind the doors are all the women who make the brokerage what it is. I feel like that is so representative of <laughs> what women are in society. If you've got a man's name or reputation behind you, so that automatically gives you some sort of authority or legitimacy. Whereas if these were just, quote, girls selling real estate on their own, then maybe they probably wouldn't be as successful. Also, it just shows that the women are the ones that are carrying this agency on their backs. As talented as Brett and Jason might be, I mean, they are the brains behind the whole operation. They're the ones with all these connections and they're getting out there and making the money for them. Also, at this point, I will mention just the absolute elephant in the room with them. They are all absolutely gorgeous and perfect. They are made up to the T's. They are wearing like a full beat, full hair and makeup every day. Obviously, it's different because, you know, they are on TV. And also, a lot of their image is what helps sell the houses. But we'll get to that later. So after the introduction montage, Chriselle is introduced into the office. 
Uh, she talks about how, you know, she's going to be covering the valley, which, again, is something that we'll get to later on the series because there's an episode about her and the valley. And I just think it's so interesting how they look down on the valley as if the houses there still aren't going for absolute millions. But again, we'll, you know, cross that bridge when we come to it. So after Chriselle is introduced to the rest of the group, and there's obviously a bit of tension and drama set up between them, we then come to one of the biggest storylines of season one, maybe into season two, I can't remember. Um, it's the $40 million house uh, that Brett and Jason are selling. It's not really clear how involved they are in the building. They do say that they are building the house, but again, it's, it's not necessarily that clear to what extent they are involved. The house is a five bedroom, nine bathroom, house. And that is just crazy to me because in what world do you need more bathrooms than bedrooms? I mean, most houses are usually like a three or four bedroom and then like two or three bathrooms. So I don't really know what rich people are getting up to, but you know, whatever. It has a 15 car garage, four hot tubs, an elevator, some massive like Olympic sized pool or something like that. Um, they're dropping the power lines that are obstructing the view for $400,000. And it is really just like the peak of luxury real estate. Obviously the house is ab absolutely gorgeous, but at what point is it just too much? At what point do you sort of have enough of a house? Why do you need, oh, I forgot to mention, I think it was also 20,000 square feet. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know how you can justify, you know, having a $40 million house with all of these excessive things when there are people starving, like, right at the end of your road, basically. I know that's something that's being talked about more as social justice becomes more popular, um, but it never really stops being mind-blowing to me that people will own this much wealth and not want to share it with the people that they see every day who are homeless or in poverty. Anyway, getting off my soapbox now to continue with the episode. So the twins say that they are looking for someone with a $250 million net worth to buy this house, which really interested me. I wanted to do the math on what this house would cost you theoretically. Normally the average down payment is about 10 to 20% of the value of the house. So I split the difference on that. So if you put 15% down, you'd be putting down $6 million. If you get a 20-year mortgage with 3% interest, then your monthly mortgage would be about $188,500. Just for some context with that, the median income in the United States is $33,706. So you are paying over quadruple what the average person makes in a year in your monthly mortgage. That is wild. To actually receive this mortgage for the from the bank, your monthly income would have to be around $630,000 based on, you know, if you want your mortgage to be around 30% of your monthly income. Um, and you'd be making about $7.56 million per year. The $250 million net worth is not an exaggeration. They will need someone with a lot of money to get this house. So then we move on to... Maya, who is showing a home in the Hollywood Hills, 
Um, and she briefly mentions this, but I just thought it was fascinating that she says that living near celebrities is a selling point of these houses, which is just crazy to me that, you know, the people living on your street can literally increase the value of your home. Maya is meeting with her client, Tal, who is a young man, a young bachelor, and she's trying to sell this house to him as a bachelor pad. So he, there's this really awkward scene in like the kitchen where Tal compliments her asks her if she cooks. She like makes a joke about only being able to make eggs or something. And then uh, he says something along the lines of, oh, I want you to cook for me. And she says, oh, I don't think my husband would be too happy about that. And he says something like, it's just dinner. It is so uncomfortable, <laughs> the amount of like pushing this guy is doing. I'm not sure if this is the guy actually doing this because he's he seems to really be pushing himself. I don't know if he's sort of hamming it up for the cameras or what the deal is there exactly. So, you know, I am analyzing this with a bit of a grain of salt here. As they go throughout the house, he like keeps making comments. He asks her to join him on the bed. He says that he wants to see her in the pool. Um, and then we cut to a talking head from Maya about how it's really unprofessional of them to do this, but how she has to play the game. I thought this was just absolutely fascinating about real estate culture because they are theoretically alone. Obviously there's a camera crew in this instance, but theoretically these women go to houses with people by themselves and these men seem to sort of take advantage of their power over the women by implying stuff like if they go have lunch or drinks with the women then they'll buy the house. And I just think it is such an uncomfortable situation to put a woman in, knowing that you have sort of the upper hand as the buyer of the house, and therefore, basically, you're a customer. And they can't quite say no to you about things, because obviously they want to make some money. And these men know that, and they take advantage and are creepy. I think, especially with the luxury of real estate, this happens, because men with money also tend to wield that money as power. I think this is something that is probably pretty unique to the luxury real estate industry. And I just really hope that these women, you know, have some form of like personal protection with them because, you know, especially with the reality show being public now, you don't know who you're necessarily going to this house alone with. Hal implies towards the end of their scene uh, that he'll buy the house if, Maya has drinks with him, which, oh my gosh, it was just very uncomfortable to watch her sort of dance around the subject and be as polite as she possibly could. So then we cut to Chriselle. She's having lunch with her sister and she's talking a lot about how she came from a really impoverished background. Um, she and her sister are talking about how there was one Christmas where they had absolutely nothing and their church brought them a box of gifts and how grateful they were for that. Chriselle also says that she now really feels the need to fit in with people and that she's become a complete people pleaser as a result of her past. It also demonstrates the way that your childhood trauma really permeates every aspect of your being. She's no longer impoverished. I think she ended up going to college and she's she was a famous actress and now a successful real estate agent. And yet she still has that 
deep tendency to be a people pleaser because of her past. You can see how important it is to her to fit in with the other girls at the Oppenheim real estate group and how that storyline plays out throughout the rest of the season, especially with her and Christine. I think there's also something to be said about Crystal's whole storyline of sort of rags to riches that really shows this idea of social mobility in the U.S. and how important it is. Seymour Martin Lipset was a political sociologist who wrote a book about American exceptionalism. American exceptionalism is this idea that America is unique from other Western societies of the time for a variety of reasons. A lot of it is, you know, the classical liberal tradition of freedom and justice, hence, you know, with liberty and justice for all in the Pledge of Allegiance and all that stuff. So one of the ways that uh, Lipset explains this difference between America and, the, and Europe um, is that education was seen as you know, a personal freedom for people. Everyone should be educated regardless of their social class. Although, of course, they make an exception based on race for that one. It's white people only. Um, this was around the end of the 19th century. Early American educators like Horace Mann had the idea to bring universal education to everyone. Um, and in schools, they would promote capitalism and the idea of social mobility. So one of the big reasons that the U.S. is different from Europe is because instead of the bourgeoisie, as it were, being the enemy of the people, Americans saw the bourgeoisie as people to emulate and look up to. And, you know, if you work hard enough, then you will become rich and you will, you know, move classes. And Chriselle really embodies this idea heavily. She has moved up from being, quote, the stinky kid at school uh, to now being very wealthy and successful. And showing these rags to riches stories on TV helps solidify this capitalist notion that if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, then you too can become like her, when in reality she's the exception and not the rule. Moving on, we are now with Christine, and she has a twilight showing of what she calls a very sexual house. Uh, the house is all like lit up with fire and tiki torches and all of this other stuff. And I thought this was really interesting because it just shows the importance of staging a house and making it look like someone could really live there. People will project their ideas and their wants onto the house and say, oh wow, this is amazing, it's beautiful, if I buy it, then I too will be amazing and beautiful. Then we have a few other scenes that I'm just going to quickly skip over, where Mary shows her boyfriend Romaine a house and talks about how they're going to be together forever. And then there's also a scene with Christine and Mary on a walk talking about Chriselle. So then we're back to Maya and Tal. So they meet for drinks. Maya talks about her husband being in Miami. Tal tries to, you know, joke around and say how he's always in LA and so is Maya, so they should be able to hang out. He eventually talks her into getting a drink and they both get mimosas, which I think is a smart choice on Maya's part. It doesn't show that she's trying to get drunk. It's I, I feel like it's a pretty innocent drink choice. It's the kind of thing that, you know, you drink at brunch on a Saturday morning at 11 a.m., so it's practically sensible. Maya gets to her wit's end with Tal because he again is trying to pressure her into, 
you know, hanging out with him so that he will be more inclined to buy a house from her. And then he starts talking about working with other agents. This is so, like, weird and manipulative to me that he, again, is wielding his power over her or saying that he's working with other people. It's almost like as if, you know, he's cheating on her and saying, like, I'm seeing other people. It just shows what a vulnerable spot women can be put in no matter what the industry, no matter how much privilege they have. So then we move on to, I think, the last scene of this episode, which is Chriselle's welcome dinner. Maya starts talking about her date with Tal a little bit, and the rest of the girls can relate. One of them says that they often bring Jason or Brett with them onto these, you know, dates. Um, so that, you know, instead of talking about personal stuff, they are more likely to talk about business. Which, again, it's sort of like, you know... The men are the ones who are seen as the legitimate actors in this whole transaction. It's their name on the building. It's their name on all the signs. Everything is theirs. But the women are the ones, you know, sort of putting themselves out there and making money. But that's not to say that, you know, Jason and Brett aren't estate agents too. But the bulk of the work is probably being done by the girls. So in the midst of the rest of the dinner chit-chat, Christine asks to see Chriselle's engagement ring, which I just think is absolutely bizarre. I think Christine is really trying to sort of size Chriselle up and make judgments on her social status and wealth and whatever based on the ring. I think it's just a weird thing that we accept about society that people are always going to want to see your engagement ring and then they size you and your fiance or husband up based on that. It's sort of like, well, I love so-and-so this much because I spent X amount on the ring. And it's just very, very, it's bizarre because you would never look at anyone else's piece of jewelry or any other kind of jewelry in the same way that someone asks to see an engagement ring. Especially after they're already married. It's not like she's newly engaged. So why does Christine want to see the ring? Then the episode ends on this storyline setup of Christine versus Chriselle. Which, again, is just Chriselle's going to be a people pleaser, a doormat, whatever, while Christine is sort of, you know, the neighborhood ice queen. So on that note, we are done. The episode is over. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I'd really like to hear whether you guys would like more uh, sequential episodes. So if I do all of Selling Sunset at once or if I should mix it up and throw in some real housewives or whatever else there is out there uh, in the mix. So let me know what you think. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get podcasts. Uh, leave a review and yeah, let me know what you think. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time.